<clears throat> so last week uh, we were talking about we were kind of looking at uh, we're looking at a couple of aspects of uh, what it means to be the church. We're looking at several in, several places where it speaks about believers um, uh, in kind of like. Uh, a number of different terms or, or gives us a couple of different analogies or metaphors for the church. Um, just kind of to overview where we kind of, I laid this out in last week's lesson, but just for kind of a reminder, um, we're looking at how the church is a family. We looked at that specifically last week in Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 10 through 13. Uh, we're going to look today at how uh, the church is the bride of Christ, uh, and then uh, depending on time, timing, we're going to go on into looking at how we are branches and Christ is the vine, how we are living stones, Christ being the chief cornerstone, uh, building up this temple, um, and uh, how we are also holy, a holy priesthood uh, in service to God, and how we are the body of Christ. Uh, as we consider the church in general and kind of the purpose and place of the church, there are, and we'll kind of, when we, when we get to the close of this uh, particular study, we'll be back in Romans chapter 12 looking at verses 1 through 8. A couple of things that I want us to draw out when we consider kind of the purpose and place of the church is one, uh, the church is intended as a mechanism for the worship of our Creator. Um, and as part of that, the stewardship of understanding that um, there are places in this world today where his name is not worshipped because his name is not known. So a part of worship leads to uh, evangelism because we know that our God is worthy of worship, worthy of all worship. Um, and if there is a place that does not worship him, um, it is our call to go to those places, to um, enable others to go to those places. So worship is one of those key central aspects of uh, kind of the place of the church and, and the purpose of the church is kind of ushering in worship uh, to, to our God. Another is transformation. The church is a place that um, we come together. Um, the church is a place where we come together and we use our gifts in the transforming of one another. It's also um, kind of a mark of what it means to be part of the church. And I'm not talking about a particular place where we gather, but the church at large Part of an identifier as a church is that God has called us, set us apart, and is transforming us from the inside out. He's making us something new. So uh, one of the things that we should consider when we consider um, whether or not we're kind of living up to this standard of what God has called us to, uh, being a part of his people, being a part of the church, is when the world looks at the church, do they see something miraculous taking place within the lives of those people who call themselves believers? Do they see transformation happening in our lives that is that can only be attributed to some supernatural work, something outside of ourselves? So uh, worship is one of those key aspects. Um, this like genuine, true transformation that can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, and then uh, another key aspect of the church is evangelism. Taking the gospel outside of these four walls to 
all places on the earth until there is not a place on the earth where his name is not praised, where he is not known as the king of all creation. So that's kind of purposes and place of the church. So today we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start looking in verse 25. Um, we're going to go 25 through 27, and then we're going to take a peek down at verse 32. We're going to consider um, the church, our relationship to Christ in the way that he speaks about the church and Christ's love for the church and how he compares it to the love that a husband ought to have for his wife. So Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then if we look down in verse 32, um, we, we see most clearly that this analogy is being given to us because marriage itself is intended, is established to be a one of the highest means by which God displays himself and his love for his bride is meant to be reflected in um, marriage itself. This, this is also, this is kind of a side note to this, um, but I would say this, this verse, let's go ahead and read it, verse 32. So this is Ephesians 5, 32. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And this mystery that he's speaking of is this mystery of this, uh, the establishment of, of marriage itself. And kind of the side note that I would, that I would say to this is um, marriage and the, and I'm not talking about like what the state does. Okay, I'm not talking about what the world around us does, but I'm talking about the church and the way that the church uh, thinks about and understands marriage. It is a hill to die on, right? It is a hill to die on because it is something established by God himself to demonstrate a particular relationship that he has with his church. Okay, Before God created anything, he had set in his mind a plan for what he was going to do and a people that he was going to call to himself through the enacting of this plan. And he established that it would be Christ who ushered this whole thing in for God's glory and that Christ would, with His people, have a relationship with them that would be as a perfect husband to a bride. And this bride was imperfect. Okay, 
but he is working as a perfect husband to sanctify, to purify, to elevate the bride that he chose for himself. Okay? And the relationship there, Scripture gives husbands, wives. Right? This is something that we ought to consider. We ought to consider marriage itself to be one of the highest honors as a Christian believer. Not the highest, because Christ himself was not married, and he fully glorified God in all that he did. But ultimately, Christ is married to his bride, the church, in a way more significant even than giving a vows that we could do with our husbands and wives here, right? So like, even though Christ was not married as he walked in the flesh on this earth, his heart was given to his bride before, crea- before the creation and the foundation of the world, right? And, and we can see in his dedication to his cause, to the joy set before him, that he would spare no expense in saving his bride. He would spare no expense in lifting her up, um, that he would spare no expense in um, what it would take to reach out to her and win her. You are here today because he continues that work of redeeming his bride. Um, so, so when we consider this, um, I think that it is a great tragedy when the church does not hold marriage in the highest of regards, okay? And this is not just me saying, like, marriage is between a man and a woman. This is a true statement. It is between husband and wife. But this is also me saying that if you're a believer and you treat your marriage as though it is something, like, common in every day, shame on you. Shame on you. If you're a husband and that you treat your wife as though she is not something to be honored, that she is not someone with great dignity, that she is not someone that you ought to be willing to give your life for, whatever that might mean, shame on you. If you think that you can be married today and then annul it sometime down the road as though it were just we were just dating for a moment, and that you can do this again and again and again and again, shame on you. Shame on you. What are you displaying to the world when God Himself says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then we find in verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The The opening of Scripture, we find God creating everything, creating man. There being being no qualified helper for him. And then God creating woman specifically for him and joining them together. 
And in doing that, he was setting, he was setting in motion a reality that we would find out long down the road, long down the road in history, that he set that relationship up. He set that pattern up so that when we get to where we consider the love of Christ for his bride, we consider this thing that is ingrained in our cultures long before the reality of the mystery was revealed. Long before. Consider this. Consider how God established it. And then it became, it was the way, is the way, that He has literally set up the creation of new human beings to come through this. And then one day He would reveal the true husband. The true, hu- the true faithful husband who would love his bride unconditionally, who would fill her in no way, though she would whore her life around, who would treat that relationship at times as though it was meaningless. And he calls to her still. He loves her no less. He works tirelessly to make her what he knows that she will become. And he will not fail in that work. We are the bride of Christ. And though we find ourselves at times unfaithful, Though the church throughout history could be blamed with untold moments of unfaithfulness, it is not the church who will ultimately be honored for the work that is going on. It will be us praising Him eternally for His faithfulness to His bride when His bride was not a bride worth having. Yet He makes us so. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor. Do you think that he will fail to do this does it feel like maybe at times you might be one of those blemishes that he needs to work out (laughs) know this know this that he will work it out there will be no blemish in his bride he will sanctify you he will wash you with the word he will present you to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy we will be holy and without blemish we will be without blemish and we will praise him for it 
So as we consider what it means for us, the church, to be the bride of Christ. He is the initiator of this relationship. He sought us out. We go astray. We are not always faithful in our relationship, but He never fails in His faithfulness to His bride. This ought to call us up as the bride to consider our holiness, to consider our sanctification, to consider where it is that we are and where we know that He's leading us, and to work together amongst one another so that we can move in this direction together, so that we can... Be active in this work that He's doing within us so that I can stir up in you desires for holiness and blamelessness. That I can set up desires in you and you can set up desires in me that we will be faithful in our service to Him. That we would seek out ways that we could honor the one that's called us to himself, who is working, who has spared no expense to make us holy, to make us what we could not ever be without him. We should seek as the church to rise up to that thing that he's called us to. We are his bride. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to the good, good husband here. As the church, he loves us, he's given himself up for us, he's working to sanctify us and cleanse us by the washing of the word, that's his word. If you want to know how this practically plays out in our lives, are you in the word of God, are you spending time in the word, this is how he works to sanctify us, he will not fail in this work. So this is one this is kind of the second aspect of what it means to be the church that I wanted us to discover so or uh, kind of dig into. So the first being family, what it means for the church to be the family and out of this um, we ought to draw like one major conclusion that we ought to draw from understanding that scripture speaks of us as a family is that we ought to be united. Now here's one of the things that I get. We come from broken families. Right? We come from broken families. So sometimes it's hard for us to know what it looks like to be a good family member. right? Um, you're going to find that in scriptures. You're not going to find that from the broken relationships of your past. This is not the way that, you, that that comes about. right? Also, if we are the bride, we ought not leverage the, relation, the, the way that we learned particular relationships in, in the past and that be the mechanism by which we always move forward. Right? So we ought to seek community amongst believers. We ought to seek unity amongst believers. We ought to seek to be family together. We ought to seek this brotherly love, this brotherly affection. Being the bride, we ought to seek to be faithful together to the one who's called us to himself, that we will be wed to for eternity, who is working within us to make sure that this is something that comes to be. Next, let's look at what it means to be branches in the vine. So let's look at John chapter 15. 
So turn with me to John chapter 15. Uh, we're going to start looking in verse uh, verse 5 here. So switching gears now, looking at another analogy that Scripture gives when speaking of the church. And just generally, as a reminder, when we talk about the church, we're talking about believers in all places, at all times, from, the, from before Christ to today, right? So when we speak of the church, we're speaking of every believer that you could dig and find out who believed in the God who makes promises in the Old Testament. Every believer that you can find that believes that God holds, makes and holds promises in the New Testament. Every believer from literally the end of Acts to today who believes this truth holds to this truth this is the church so when we speak of the church this is kind of what we this is kind of what we mean by that and as we look at these different um, these these kind of different ways that scripture speaks of believers this community of believers I just want us to keep that in mind this is not um, one particular culture one particular people this is people called from um, all walks of life in in all history like that's going to be super interesting when we get into eternity and then we've got people that uh, live now in modern times and we have people that have never seen an iPhone before <laughs> it's going to be very interesting seeing these cultures come together in eternity people who have come from different places in history um, all together as uh, the church the family of God the bride of Christ the branches who are joined in in the vine here so um, this is Christ uh, speaking here of about being the vine. So uh, John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Does any word jump out to any of you as we're looking through that? Um, there, should, there, should be, there should be one word in particular that you can't miss. Abide, abide, abide. Yeah. Yeah. It's rich. It's rich. <laughs> so one thing that I want us to consider when we consider that Scripture speaks of us as believers, us as a community of believers, you individually as a believer as being a branch in the vine, is that you abide in the vine. All right. We do not support the vine. The vine supports us. 
the vine does not need me as a branch I need the vine to survive as a branch if I am broken off I wither and die Yeah, yeah. The vine produces the source from which the branches live. Without the vine, the branches are kindling. Nothing more. Yeah. Yeah. Just like needing to be trimmed off, like really cut back, and then it can grow. Yeah. <laughs> now, something to consider. Something to consider in this as well is the analogy that we that we should draw out of this is not that the church is the vine, right? Because the church is not the vine. The church the church composes the branches, right? Like we are those branches. So let's not. Let's not take this analogy as well and stretch it into saying, well, if you're not at Mount Carmel, then you've clearly been cast out of the vine. This is not the way that, that, we, can, that we can approach this particular type of scripture. Now, what I would say is that we could take this scripture and we could consider us as a body of believers and look at growth, life, death within the vines to know whether or not we're plugged truly, or within the branches to know whether or not we're plugged truly into the vine. Right? Like, this is, the church is the branches. What does it look like? What do we look like? Is there life flowing into us as branches? If not, are we connected to the vine? As a church, are we connected to the vine. This is where we will find life. It's not in just merely being in a place, right? This is why, like Dustin would put so much focus and emphasis on the necessity of us being grounded in the Word. Because this is where we receive the sanctification as the bride of Christ. This is the mechanism by which the Holy Spirit works within us. This is that lifeblood of the branches, the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. So if we are not plugged in deeply into the Word, then we're not going to receive the nourishment that we need as branches to grow and flourish. Yeah. We need to be together. We need to be together, but that's not really the thing that they need the most. Yeah. And sometimes, though, that getting involved is just kind of a word that people don't know how to use another word, or a, you know, it's like let's just be with Christian people, and yeah. then 
Let's learn what those Christian people who are growing are doing. Yeah. And this is what I yeah this is what I think like when we when we when we kind of think about the term or the idea of getting involved in church, this is a loose way of us saying getting in close proximity to other believers plugged into the vine, so that like in some strange way that that branch getting in close might find itself plugged in at some point to the vine, to the source. But ultimately, you can come into a church and you can participate in the activities of the church and not be plugged into the vine. And be thinking that you're just fine because you just like are involved. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's both. Yeah, it's both. That's why I said like we just like I like the way you said it's a loose term. Yeah. Because what we what we what we want and desire when we say, Hey, you should be more active in church is that we we hope that that activity leads to life. Or right? But ultimately, ultimately, like the and, and we we go about it in different ways, right? Sometimes like that getting active is almost like it's and a trick is a weird word, but let me use it just for the sake of, of, of this conversation. We want to use it to trick you to to getting really what we know that you need, but it's harder to to point out directly is that you need Jesus and you need to be in the Word. Right? So being active being active in church because you're around so many others who we pray are plugged into the vine, we hope that it rubs off by osmosis. And, and, and many times many times it does, because we'll get around other believers and we'll see what they're doing, and we'll, like, we'll notice that this particular believer seems to be growing, seems to be passionate for years on years and decades even, and we examine that person's life, and we see these patterns emerge... And then we start implementing those patterns. And through that, we do unconsciously what could be more directly said, spend time with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is doing yes. drawing. Yes, yes, yes. He's sovereign over our activities. Yeah. Our drawings. You know, like our, what are we desiring? Yes. God, that's so beautiful. Yeah, he works within us to, to will and to work. Yeah. Coming together can only take you so far. Yes. It's not abiding, but we can learn how to. Yes. Is that that's what I hear you saying? Like, yeah, and I think that's a yeah. And I have two forty two groups for us and our, our involvement with them and I miss them so bad and we've got to get started just talking about like opening our home more. And and that that was what was going on. It was like doing life with one another. It was, you come into my house, we're going to eat together, we're gonna, the kids are going to play, we're going to sit around, talk about whatever's going on in your life. It doesn't have to be serious. Yeah. It can be fun. We play games. It was just so precious. And there's so many deep connections of discipleship that even if people are not here, 
there's still those seeds that were sown. Yeah. That they're still they're still seeking. And and I want to point I want to point out another thing as well. We don't have to leverage this particular verse for the reality that we're kind of discussing here because scripture is clear forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and and we we will often silo that off to simply mean don't miss church but that's not what that's not what that is assembling yourself together as believers is that fellowship like that is an aspect of it coming together in one another's homes this is why we looked at at the the first thing we looked at here was family what does family do together like uh, this this can hurt our feelings sometimes because life gets busy and we don't eat together we eat in front of the TV or we'll eat in different places because we're going which way and the other but that like coming together sitting down and fellowshipping at a meal like that that's part of being a family right it's part of being a family it's like taking a moment to sit down and share a meal together right so like forsaking not the assembly of ourselves together but there's something particularly important that we should get when we consider us the analogy that that scripture gives for believers being attached to the vine the vine is Christ he says I am the vine you are the branches so he is the bride or he, he is the husband we are the bride he is the vine we are the branches and then he goes on abides 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 whoever abides in me and I in him it is he that bears much fruit. Do you desire fruit to be produced in you individually? Yes. You will if he is in you. If he is that's in like you. That's, I think that's why it never says, Bye to me. Yeah. And just stops. Yeah. Like, hey. And I in you. <laughs> yes. Do we, as a church, want him bearing fruit? Do we want to bear fruit in this world? Do we want to bear fruit in one another's lives? If so, we as a church must abide in Him. Apart from me, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is you as an individual. This is us as a body of believers. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, so, back, how do we know that Christ is abiding in us? His Word. His Word abides in you. Does, does God's Word hold any amount of importance for you in your life? Do you spend time in it? Do you seek to gain wisdom from it? Does Christ's Word mean anything to you? Do you abide in it? Ask whatever you wish. So he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How is it that we prove to be his disciples? How do you know that an individual is a disciple? How do you know that a church is building disciples? What does it say here? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We ought to consider what this 
is telling us here. If we're abiding in him, ought we expect to produce a little fruit? Yes. But is that it? Is that all? If we abide in him, what is ultimately Christ working to do? Why is it that we can be certain that he will not fail in removing every blemish from his bride? Why can we be certain that he will produce for those who abide in him much fruit? He's seeking for his Father's glory. They loved one another before they kicked this whole thing off. And as they were working this plan together in eternity, they were desiring to lift one another up above all other things. You will not be, he will not fail you because that would mean he could fail his father. Bride of Christ, he will not fail to cleanse you because that would mean that he would be failing his father. Branches attached to the vine, he will not fail to produce fruit in you, in us. Because he will not fail to glorify his Father. By this, look, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Where should we be seeking to abide? In his word, in his love. If you keep my commandments. What is his commandments? Again, another reference here to his word, to the words that he's given us. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that you may that joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Where are you resting? Where are you resting? When you find yourself exhausted, when you find yourself spent, when you find that you have nothing left, are you attached to the vine? Perhaps not. I mean, it's a beautiful picture, and he starts it off on the first part of the chapter. Though. Yeah. Enough, and he, he he orchestrates so simple. I am the true vine, not just a yeah. vine, the true vine. Yeah. And then he says, My father's divine So God himself is going out to there and he's washed every branch off. And that to me I think yeah. this is the dad. He's doing that. Not God uh, Christ <laughs> is laid out. Yeah. Across there, he's attached to everyone. Yeah. And God's over just washing. Doing this work. Doing this work. Yeah. Is that what a vine dresser does? That's that's part of part of pruning. It's cleaning. Yeah. The dirt's coming up off the ground when it rains. It's splashing up on it. Yeah. Because it says like you're clean because of me. Yeah. Washed by the word. Look back in chapter. In chapter that means like. I'm thinking of snippet. Yeah, that could be part of, part of that. But yeah, washing everyone up because they. Uh, 
I, I look back and it said in, uh, what was it? Where was it at? I lost my place. It's so far removed from the first century of Israel. <laughs> <laughs> in, in chapter 13, just as Jesus said, he said to him, the one who has bathed does not need wash except for his feet. Yeah. But is completely clean. And you are clean. He's talking about the other disciples. Yeah. Talking about, but your feet always need it because you're walking through the water. Yeah. <laughs> but the rain's coming up and all that's splashing up on, on the vine. Now, I, you don't think about to me. Yeah, I don't no, think it's Uncle Big about think about it. Splashing back up on the leaves. Yeah. yeah. God's sitting there and he's worried about he's not worried, but he's just this is what he, 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 he intends to care for the vine. Like he's not like he's a good vine dresser. Yeah. Yeah. You think about the diseases that come from the soil. Yeah. If we go to the parable of the sower, yeah. it's also the sower of the soil. Yeah. And he he's the sower. I mean, yeah, you could to me the gardening, that's what I'm telling y'all. Like, you just get out and plant a garden or a vineyard or something and just watch what God I think there's a lot I think there's a lot of like there's a reason we get so many analogies in scripture to like life like like just plant life in general and tending to it um, in in relationship with our walk with Christ. Like there's a yeah. It's so beautiful. Like just I've got a little package of mustard seed and they're so tiny. Yeah. You can barely stand to plant them because you can't even you try to get them and you'll get like five and you don't even need them. <laughs> you know, trying to pinch them to get them into the soil. But it's just so incredible. That God would take and make His creation and know that He was going to do these parables, that He was going to yeah. teach these analogies, but He made all His creation that would testify of the plan. Yes. Not just of salvation, but of growth. And yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing in His creation that He's wasted no. effort on. Right. Like purpose. Purpose built in everything. So um, at this point, I'm gonna wrap us up. We've covered we've covered the family last week. We touched on the bride, the branches today. Um, next week we'll pick back up in First Peter chapter two, um, looking at the living stones and the holy priesthood. Um, then on to First Corinthians chapter twelve, looking at the body of Christ, and then wrapping up um, at some point in the future with Romans chapter twelve.